Father, we thank you uh, so much for uh, your book, for your word. Lord, it is, uh, it is precious uh, because it leads us to encounter Christ. But we need your help as we turn to your word. We need, uh, we need your help that we wouldn't just encounter uh, scripture as simply words on a page, but that we would encounter uh, scripture as uh, words of life. So we ask God that you would open our eyes that we might see the wonder, uh, the truth, and the beauty of your word today, that we would see Jesus Christ laid out before us, and that we would place our faith more deeply in him, that we would obey him with every part of our lives. We pray you would do, do that work in this room today uh, by your spirit. Only you can produce that type of uh, change, that, that type of encouragement, that type of growth in faith, that type of spark of initial faith. But, but God, we ask that you would do it uh, for each of us in this room today. God, we ask that you would do it not only for each of us in this room today, but that you would do it, Lord, uh, across uh, all the churches in the city of Boston, seeking to preach Jesus with faithfulness. Would you make Jesus the treasure uh, of our lives, of, of this church, of, of this people, but, but all across this city, God, that, that Jesus would be treasured so that Jesus would be treasured throughout the world and so that more and more people would, would be brought into your kingdom and, and live out the, 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 the ways of following Jesus uh, here and now. We pray that you would do this for your glory. We pray that you would do this for our good. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to read our, our, our text together to start, um, and we'll read them uh, out loud um, together as a way for uh, the text to just kind of sink into us a little bit more deeply as we reflect on it uh, this morning. Uh, and so our first text uh, is going to be Hebrews uh, 2, 17 and 18. Uh, we're going to read this uh, together. So read with me. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I like the eagerness we have for scripture, you guys. We're like, we want, just want to read it. We can't be stopped. We're just going. I like it. The next text that we're going to look at, in both of these, we're going to see how they work together and complement each other. The next text that we're going to look at is 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Let's read together God's word. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You know, as a kid, uh, I would do this thing where I would just kind of sometimes sit still and think. And the thing that I would think about uh, was this. I, I would think, what, what was I like before I existed? Or a variation of that question, I would think about, what was the world like before I existed? And every time that I did that, every time that I thought one of those two related questions, it was like my mind literally went black. Like I was literally like jolted, like what was, what, what was I like before I existed? It was just like this existential blaze of just blankness that would go across my brain and be like, whoa, it was nothing. That was just, there was just nothing. And, and sometimes I would just like do that just to feel that experience of just this kind of blank slate washing over my mind. And it was this, uh, it feels like this reality of, of encountering a truth that is just too much for my mind to handle. 
right? Thinking, what was I like before I existed? Or what was the world like before I existed? What, what, what was my experience before I was? That is a truth that is so complex uh, and so much for my little uh, nine-year-old mind to gather and grasp that my brain would just felt like it would just shut off and reboot every time that I did that. So as a nine-year-old, I'd like to think that a lot, is just kind of feel that feeling like, whoa, okay, I'm back. Um, it was this strange experience of trying to grapple with the truth that is just too big for, for a nine-year-old mind to, to, to grasp. It's too big for philosophers to grasp, let alone a nine-year-old. And when we think about the incarnation of Jesus, when we think about the reality of, of Jesus leaving heaven and, and becoming man, adding a, a full humanity to his full divinity, when we think about that truth, we have that same moment and experience uh, uh, of our minds just being overwhelmed, just being uh, overheated, just being needed to be rebooted and restarted because that truth is just too much for us to really grasp. It's just too, it's, it's overwhelming for our minds to think about how Jesus could become fully a man while, while being fully the Son of God. And because that truth is almost so much for, for us to grasp, we, we sometimes just don't think about it. We, we sometimes just kind of think about it on the surface, but we don't press too deeply into it because we know that if we do, it's just going to be a little overwhelming for us. We're not that smart. How are we going to piece all these uh, truths together and how are we going to understand it? However, my encouragement for us is that we, we need to try to push our minds and our hearts to grasp the reality of Jesus becoming a man because in that truth of the incarnation, in that reality, there is an unlimited source of encouragement. There is an unlimited source of wonder. There is an unlimited source of vibrancy to be enjoyed by contemplating what it is that Jesus has done for us. In the incarnation, we find the greatest picture of this life-giving truth, that Jesus has become like us for us, that Jesus has become like us for us. And Advent gives us the perfect time to contemplate and think about this reality of the incarnation, Jesus becoming like us for us because we're getting ready to celebrate his birth. And as we look at these two texts uh, and as they work uh, together in collaboration, 1 Timothy 2 and, and Hebrews 17, we, we, we see this clearly in, in, in the text. We see this in, in Hebrews 2.17 that he had to be like, made like us in every respect in order to, make, uh, to be a propitiation for our sins. He had to be like us in order to be the sacrifice for our sins, the, the atoning uh, 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 payment for our sins. That's what propitiation means. And so we have to understand what the incarnation means in order to grasp all of the wonder and the beauty and the depth of who Jesus Christ truly is. So Jesus became like us for us. First, I want us to, to think about this reality, that Jesus became like us. Jesus became like us. Now, let's think about this for a little bit. It really depends, uh, the, the, the wonder of Jesus becoming like us really depends on what Jesus was like before he became like us. What was Jesus like before he became a man? What was Jesus like before he stepped into human history? What was Jesus like before he was born in a, in a manger, in swaddling cloth, which would be like being born in the back alley of Detroit in an in a, in a old milk crate, right? It's just like being born in the slums. What, what was Jesus like before that happened? Well, when we look at Scripture, we find out that, that Jesus, one, 
was like something. He was something because he existed eternally. We find out uh, from the text that we've looked at the last couple of weeks from John 1, we find out that before Jesus uh, took on flesh, he was with God. And he was God. And he made all things. And he existed as the eternal son of God, equal with God the Father, fully divine, enthroned in glory, with no beginning, with no middle, and with no end. So we find out that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. So it's the eternal Son of God who, who says, I will step down and I will become like the rest of you in order to achieve something for you. This is why John 1.14 that Fletcher unpacked for us last week says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Whoa. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal son of God became flesh and came near to us. The creator of heaven and earth became flesh and came near to us. The one who spoke all things into existence became flesh and became near to us. Jesus became like us for us. But Jesus didn't just simply become kind of like us. He, he became truly like us. Jesus' humanity, when we survey the scriptures, we see this just in one phrase here in 1 Timothy 2, uh, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. This is significant. It's a simple phrase unpacked by the rest of scripture, so we read it all together and harmonize it. But the man, Christ Jesus, is so important for us because, let's be honest, sometimes we think of Jesus not really as a man, but kind of as a superhuman man. But Jesus obeyed. Jesus was about saying, well, of course, he's God, right? But we have to understand what scripture really shows us is that Jesus was really a man. He was truly God and truly a man, the man Christ Jesus. When we look at Jesus' humanity in the scriptures, when we survey the Bible even briefly, we were reminded, we are reminded that Jesus was not a, simply a superhuman man, but Jesus Christ was a regular man. Let, let's just look at a survey uh, like, and see how much he is like us. Jesus, like us, grew in wisdom and knowledge from infancy into adulthood. We learned that from, from Luke 2. Like us, Jesus wept over a loved one who died as he weeps over Lazarus. Like us, Jesus was rejected by those who claimed to be loyal to him. Like us, Jesus dealt with physical and emotional exhaustion. Like us, Jesus prayed for a prayer he wanted answered one way, and God the Father said, no, it's going this way. Jesus became like us for us. Another translation of Hebrews 2.17 says it like this, and maybe this helps it sink into our minds and hearts a little bit more deeply. It says it uh, this way, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So we often view Jesus as a superhuman man, but Jesus was a true and real human being. There was a uh, great um, heresy, uh, false teaching in the early church called docetism. Can you guys say docetism? Docetism. Great job. It was this idea that Jesus really just basically kind of looked like a man. 
that Jesus kind of looked like a man, but really his mind was fully divine, and he kind of had the appearance of a man. And so every time uh, that he does something, it's, we owe it to, to the fact that he's divine. So it's like, wow, Jesus obeyed. He, he withstood temptation for 40 days. Uh, yeah, well, of course, he's, he's God. He could do that, right? It's this idea that Jesus wasn't really a man. He kind of just sort of was a man, but he was like this superhuman glowy man that could levitate whenever he wanted. Right, just this idea that everything was just super easy for him because he was the son of God. Right, but the, but the impact of this error is one, it's an error, and two, it strips us from understanding the real glory and reality and weight and wonder of all that Jesus has done for us. That Jesus' obedience was really difficult. That Jesus' life of resisting temptation and choosing the way of God was incredibly stressful, strenuous, and hard. That when Jesus said no to temptation and yes to righteousness, it wasn't just this easy, instantaneous thing. Ah, yes, I'm God. I would never consider such a thing. I would never do any of these things. No, it was difficult for him. Yes, he was sinless, but yes, he was truly a man, empowered by God's Spirit. And so we miss so much of Jesus' beauty and depth when we attribute all of his obedience strictly to his divinity, and we forget the reality of Scripture that he also lived a full and real embodied humanity. Jesus became like us for us. I found this... uh, I find this uh, insight from a a writer and pastor, R. Kent Hughes, very helpful. I'm going to read this to you here. He recaps Jesus' humanity in this way. Hear these words and, and, and wonder upon them. While it is true that the Son of God in the womb, at birth, and throughout life, always retained the qualities of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, these are divine qualities, he placed these divine qualities, he placed the exercise of them at the discretion of God the Father. This means that Christ grew from infancy through childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, and into maturity in both body and mind. May we reverently understand that the incarnation meant that Christ progressively smelled like an infant, a boy, and a man. He thought like a child before he thought like a man. He knew the same range of human emotions as we did as he grew to maturity. I marvel over that. That when Jesus has encounters with his disciples and his disciples ask him, hey, Jesus, uh, you got it going on. You, you're, the, you're, the, you're, you're the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're, you're the chosen one. We're, we're, we're believing that. Will you tell us when, will you tell us when God is going to renew all things? And Jesus would reply with what answer? What would Jesus say? Shrugged his shoulders. I don't know. That's for the Father to know. Even the Son of Man doesn't know. Right? We can read that and say, oh, Jesus, you're so humble. Pretending you don't know when you know everything. No, Jesus, is, Jesus does not know. He is truly a man. He, he, he did not know all things at all times. When we see him heal, when we see him do divine things, it is the breaking in of his divine nature that he had put on hold in order to embrace a full humanity. He was always fully God and fully man, always in a wondrous mystery. But he has two natures, a fully divine nature and a fully human nature. 
which means he doesn't know everything at all times. So when he says, I don't know, he is truly saying, I do not know. It's for the Father to know. I have submitted myself under the Father, even though I'm equal with him. I've submitted myself under the Father. I have not counted equality with God, all of my divine rights and privileges and power. I have not counted them a thing to be held to. I have relinquished those in order to take on a full humanity while retaining a full deity. I became like you for you. We have to understand what Jesus has done for us. How low he was willing to stoop to become like us for us. I want you to even think about this. Jesus becoming like us for us has staggering implications upon him. This means that Jesus, through the incarnation, through being born into human history, has now made himself a man forever. Jesus has a full humanity and human nature alongside of his deity forever. That Jesus is now limited in these uh, magical, mysterious ways forever while remaining fully divine. These are deep truths for us to ponder, but they show us the extent of his love and his sacrifice and his humility for you and for me. Jesus became like us for us. Jesus lowers himself to such an existence to to be forever man, to, to humble himself in such a way. He does this in partnership with God the Father, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, in order, as, as uh, 1 Timothy 2 says, in order to become our mediator, the mediator between God and man. And let's think about what a mediator does. A mediator helps two parties who are at odds, right? Think about the times where you've had to mediate between two friends, right? And you're the one in the middle, right? You're the one with the common sense. It's like, well, bring her in, bring her in, bring him in, bring him in. And you have to mediate between two friends uh, who have beef or who are arguing with, between two crazy people in your family. And you're like, you guys are both crazy, you're both wrong. Just stop, right? When you, ha- when you have to be the mediator, you, you've got you've to be able to, to, to walk between two sides, right, and bring them together. It's difficult work. I remember in high school in Lowell, for some reason, they, uh, they nominated me to be a peer mediator, right? It was like this, a great idea, like, let's have the high schoolers help the high schoolers with their problems while we watch. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> You're the one with a counseling degree. I <laughs> am over here like, I'm only here to get out of third period. <laughs> like, she punched me, then he punched me. Uh, excuse me, what do I, like, what do I say? Right? Peer mediation is great. Um, <laughs> as an aside to, to keep you guys uh, attentive and to maybe help you uh, enjoy, when I did the peer mediating, I, I missed uh, set like several days of class. And people were like, where are you going? And Nick Cannon was very popular at the time. So I said, oh, I got cast in a Nick Cannon movie. So I'm going to Montana to film it for the next couple weeks. And people believed me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's in a Nick Cannon movie. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, so mediating, two parties at odds. Two parties at odds, right? Mediating. First Timothy 2 says, there is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, the man. So when we think about why would Jesus stoop so low, he stoops so low in order to take on a job, in order to take on an office, in order to take on a task, in order to take on a mission, in order to be the mediator between God and humanity. This is why he humbles himself. He humbles himself for the sake of others. 
He lays down privileges and rights for the sake of others. Now, just think of how hard that is for you to do. Think of how hard that is for anyone to do. To even, how, how difficult that is for anyone to even consider. Right? To even entertain the thought of, wow, well, maybe I could sacrifice this for another person. I don't even like thinking that way, let alone actually doing it. Think of what Jesus has done. He stoops low in order to be ordained into the office of the mediator between God and humanity. This is what he does. Now, why is this needed? Why is this needed? It's because the two parties are at odds. The two parties are in isolation. The two parties are separated. The two parties have conflict. The two parties have beef. The two parties are are not right with each other. God and humanity, there is a divide that is massive, that, that 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 is cosmic because of the entrance of sin into the world and our sin by choice, where we decide and say, God, I I don't want you. I'm going to live according to my will, my wisdom, my way. Your law, I'll break it. My law, I'll follow it. And so we have conflict with God the Father. We are separated from Him. There is no way for us to mediate that gap ourselves. And so God, instead of giving us what we deserve, a day of accountability, a day of judgment, a day of reckoning. Instead of giving to us what we deserve, God sends us what we do not deserve. He sends us a mediator. Do we understand this? That when God ought to send us Jesus as the judge, God in his grace and love sends us Jesus as the mediator. When justice required Jesus come with an account of reckoning, Jesus comes in flesh in order to put right what was separated, humanity and God. Jesus became like us for us. Now, fundamentally, we all understand that we need a mediator between us and the divine, between us and the transcendent, which is why we have a plethora of philosophies and faiths and religions, because we all understand at some way, shape, or form that there is a gap between us and God, or excuse me, us and God. There is a gap there. We all understand it. Some would say we mediate that gap through enlightenment. Some would say we mediate that gap through being good. Some would say we mediate that gap by by being uh, kind, by treating others as they would have us treat them, right? By mediating this gap through our performance, through our obedience, through through our devotion, through, through some means that we do. We all understand that we need a mediator, but in the only uh, case where we see God coming and mediating for us is the case of Jesus. In Christianity, we see two truths that we see nowhere else. One, that we are so low that we cannot mediate ourselves back to God, but two, God loves us so much, he takes it upon himself to do the work of mediating in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about the wonder of what Jesus has done for us, being born into human history, becoming like us for us. Think about this wonder for a moment. A successful mediator needs to be able to understand both parties. A mediator who's going to be effective needs to have understanding of both sides of the table. Consider Jesus then. Consider how Jesus, in his divinity, is able to understand uniquely how much glory 
obedience, worship, and reverence God truly deserves. Jesus has a portside, front row tickets to seeing the worth of God. And so as a mediator, he can understand deeply how offensive, how vile, how ugly, and how foolish even the smallest sin truly is. Because Jesus knows deeply the worth and character of God. So as a mediator, he absolutely understands the Father's grief, the Father's uh, pure and controlled anger at sin. He understands that completely. And yet on the other side of the equation, by taking on a humanity that is true and real, Jesus understands the misery, the struggle, the brokenness, and the tragedy that is humanity. He understands not just in theory what it's like to struggle to obey, he understands from experience. He understands not just through textbook theory about the brokenness of humanity, he understands it by living among it. So he deeply understands the misery, the plight, and the tragedy of humanity broken by sin. He understands both parties, and he comes between both parties with the blessing of God the Father to mediate and make right what we have broken through our disobedience. Jesus in his full humanity, in his full divinity, is the only one qualified to be an effective mediator through his work on the cross. This is the wonder of the incarnation. This is why Hebrews 17 says he had to be made like us in every respect in order to understand, in order to mediate, in order to be the substitute who represents us on the cross. He had to be made like us in every way, fully human. Jesus became like us for us. You see, only a man, a human, could pay the debt of humanity. Jesus had to become like us for us. And only a truly perfect man could pay the debt for sinners. Jesus had to become like us for us, yet fully righteous. When we consider these truths, we, we, see, we see this reality that the incarnation of Jesus, it, it doubles down on the wonder of the cross. We think it's wonderful, and it is, that Jesus would take our sins in our place. But when we understand what, we, what he had to do in order to take our sins, we, we doubly marvel and wonder. It's not just that he paid for our sins, it's what he had to do in order to even get to the moment to encounter the cross. It's not just that he paid for our sins and was beaten and crushed for us, it's all that he went through in order to get to that day. Jesus became like us for us. Consider this, it's not just that Jesus has died a lowly sinner's death, but that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, put aside his divine rights and privileges in order to die a lowly sinner's death. In order to be crucified naked, in order to be mocked and shamed publicly, in order to have the sins of the world placed upon his shoulders, Jesus humbled himself to a limited, finite human existence in order to be our mediator. Now think about this, if all of that is true, how can we ever really wonder if God loves us? If, if all of that is true, how can we ever really wonder if God is with us? 
if Jesus became like us for us in such a profound and deep way, isn't he like us and for us and with us now? There is so much encouragement for us to feast on through the truth of the incarnation. He becomes like us to be our savior. He also becomes like us to be uh, our merciful mediator who understands and relates. This is what verse 18 of Hebrews says. He, he had to be made like us so that he could sympathize with our struggles and with our sufferings. I want you to think about this. Jesus, uh, Jesus' love, mercy, and grace for you went through a, a, an experience of refining and sharpening. Right? Jesus' love, mercy, and grace for you was sharpened, was perfected, was, was brought to its highest power because he has walked upon this broken earth. He deeply understands everything that we've gone through. He's become like us for us. I want to show you a, a, a picture. Carrie, uh, if you want to flip a couple. Yep. Um, I want to show you this picture. This is a, a boy um, who had to have surgery for a, a tumor, and he was being made fun of for his scar. And so his father said, if, if they're going to make fun of you, they're going to make fun of me. So his father went and, and got the, 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 the mark of the same scar tattooed on his head. No, I don't know how much you guys know about tattoos, but they don't come off. And so the father said, I, I'm going to become like you insofar as I can in order to identify with you because I love you. And I want you to understand that anything that they do to you, they can do to me. That I stand with you. That if they're going to make fun of you, they're going to make fun of me. Is this, is this not a picture of the incarnation in a very dim, small, yet significant way? That Jesus has become like us for us. You see, we, we, we don't stop to sit at this truth, but when we stop to sit and, and, and sit with it and let it sink in, we, 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 we receive the joy, the wonder, and our hearts begin to burn with a sense of understanding. This is who Jesus is for us. This father has gone to the furthest length within his power to identify with his child. But Christ does not just go to, to a length of, of mirroring. He, he truly becomes like us, for us. A true, tangible man. That is who Jesus Christ is. Our problem is not going to be denying his divinity. Our problem is forgetting his humanity that he truly understands. This father goes through a, as close as he can to say to his son, I understand. But Jesus Christ can actually look us dead in the eye and say, I know exactly what it's like to feel rejected. I know exactly what it's like to feel betrayed. I know exactly what it's like to struggle against the temptation of sin. I have tasted it myself. Jesus has become like us for us. We must consider this, that Jesus has tasted our pains. Whatever pain that is afflicting you right now, Jesus Christ has tasted it because he has lived as a true and real man. Jesus Christ has tasted your temptations. He's tasted your hurts. 
He's breathed the air of this broken world in order to be a faithful and sympathetic and effective mediator for us. Jesus has become like us for us. So why hide from the one in his humanity who truly understands us and in his divinity is able to forgive and transform us? Right? Do, do, do we see the dual power of Jesus? In his humanity, he understands and he is deeply sympathetic with us. In his divinity, he has power to forgive, heal, and redeem and change us. We're dealing with someone who comprehensively knows and understands everything that we experience and feel. He has become like us, for us. So instead of hiding from him, instead of withdrawing from him, we are invited to do this, to believe, to trust in him, to marvel at the wonder of the incarnation, and to worship him with our lives. Because of Jesus, our mediator, we are invited through faith in his work to be made right with our creator and to live every day of our life under his purpose in his kingdom until we see him face to face as fully God, fully man in eternity. Jesus has become like us for us. In order to let this wonder and this beauty of Christ sing into our minds, I want to read us a, an excerpt from a sermon from uh, Augustine, a North African theologian from the 4th or 5th century, to see these ancient truths uh, laid out before us. Hear these words, marvel on these, that this reality that Jesus has become like us, for us. It says this, man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread of life might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher beaten with wit, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Jesus Christ has become like us for us. And the response for us is to marvel at the wonder, to believe, and to worship him. He's become like us for us. Jesus, we are simply uh, in awe. We cannot repay you. We can't, we can't worship you enough to do justice to, to all that you are and, and all that you've done for us. Instead of trying to, to repay, uh, we, we ask you to help us. Help us by your spirit to grasp the wonder, the beauty, and the truth of your incarnation and your sacrifice and your resurrection for us. Jesus, would you help us to know you and to rejoice and to turn to you as our Savior and our sympathetic mediator. Help us to put our trust in you, not in, not in false substitute mediators of our own goodness or, 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 or our own devotion or, or a mix of our goodness and a mix of faith in you. Help us to, to, to cast all of our weight, all of our chips, all of our faith, and would it be rested upon you as our, as our faithful, sympathetic mediator. 
help us who struggle to 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 believe either the uh, the reality uh, uh, of our sin or the reality of your your forgiving grace would you just would you lead us to yourself that we would see you in all of your beauty and all of your glory and that you would transform us to live in a way that honors you and brings a light to this world we pray this for your namesake amen